the declaration thing is incredibly important. And I want to talk about that tonight in terms of uh, spiritual battles as we read out of 2 Corinthians where Paul speaks about uh, we don't live in this world and we don't use uh, the same tactics as this world. Um, and of course we do. The problem is we do. We spend most of our time living at ground level and we drag Jesus down to ground level and we continually try to make the gospel and what Jesus did um, kind of a tame thing and a, what I call Egyptian. Egyptian means slavery. Egyptian means knowing God in slavery and when you die, you leave. I'm using that Exodus analogy where the Passover lamb was slain and then uh, they were set free, but everything looked the same. And when they were set free, they had to walk into the promised land. And one of our biggest challenges is we, we love to say, God, do everything. And he says, we'll start walking then. I've actually done everything to set you free. Now walk into freedom. But walking into freedom, as soon as you leave slavery, walking into freedom is about living by faith. And that's why we talk a lot here about believing is seeing is Egyptian philosophy, right? If you can't touch it, taste it, see it, feel it, or pay for it, it's not real. Walking into freedom and walking in the kingdom of heaven is believing is seeing. You declare it, you believe it. God said it in Genesis, he said what? He said, let there be light. There was light. He said, let's separate the darkness. It separates it. When he speaks, it comes into being. So when Jesus came into this world, he said, I am the word. And then he speaks and he says, be healed. And he speaks the word and the word comes into being and attaches human beings and it undoes what evil has done and it sets them free. When Jesus started his ministry and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, what was it to do? I'm joking, but I always say to have a Bible study. The spirit of the Lord is upon me to have a Bible study. I know Bible studies are good, but Bible studies should lead to healing, should lead to release of power should lead to people being equipped to be disciples. Everyone. Everyone is called. You don't have clergy. You're not meant to have clergy and laity. You're just meant to have everybody. Our models are based on the Roman system and now they're based on, on business economics. They're not based on Jesus. And so there's an element of we need to reclaim um, our own authority and identity in Jesus and not be scared of that because it's actually the way forward. And so Paul starts saying, uh, we do not wage the world the war as the world does. And the, the clashes of these two kingdoms, I was listening to Graham Cook the other day, the clashes of these two kingdoms, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of the prince of the air, which is darkness. This morning somebody was sharing because at the women's meeting last night, they were talking about... Uh, women uh, sold into sex trafficking. That Victoria is one of the biggest places for sex trafficking. Sweet, English-looking Victoria. Girls hijacked, taken into slavery. Um, it's rampant all over, the, all over the world. People didn't go last night in Port Alberni because they didn't like the topic. I repent before you, Lord. I didn't like the topic of having to consider that children are, slave, are slaves to sex and I'm too lazy to even get up and notice. 
I'd like to go to Victoria for my cream tea. That's the world we live in. I don't like the topic. Well, if I was a child prostitute, I'd really love you to love the topic because I'm in trouble and I need somebody to rescue me. And I really love the fact that you have your house and your comfort, but I'm in trouble. And your next door neighbor is actually looking at me on the internet in pornography. And I'm stuck here and I'm his prisoner in your sweet town. Oh, I'm getting angry. Oh, I'm getting passionate. We have to pay attention. We have to rise up to some things. We have to start looking beyond ourselves. Jesus so loved the world that he came into this world that others would come into freedom. And if our freedom is worth anything, we want to see others set free. If we don't want to set others free, then we're not free. We're just religious Egyptians. And God came that he would be able to set, raise up a people who would be extraordinarily um, unselfish in the way they lived because of their care and love for others. So getting back to the Graham Cook quote, which he says, we have two kingdoms and two rulers and they both want to do the same thing. They want to, us to be made in their image. The kingdom of darkness wants to make you in his image. And Jesus, the King of Kings, wants to make you in his image. And the Prince of Darkness, his image is one of selfishness, is one of, a, 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 is one of conquering, is one of using, objectifying human beings, is one of actually utilizing everything in a selfish way. Enslaving people, power, overpowering people so that they will do things to serve others in a way that keeps them prisoners. You see it all over the place. Whereas Jesus, the King of Kings, comes and he says, I, I have come to overcome this one. I overcame him on the cross, but now I've come to actually release it on the earth and set people free. And that freedom is meant to be now, not when you're dead. That freedom is meant to be on earth as in heaven. Greater love has no one than this to lay down your life for a friend. The hallmark of Jesus living in us is our sacrificial love and care for those who are not so fortunate. The hallmark of Jesus in us is not just our worship, but our lifestyle that actually is generous to others, is willing to be inconvenienced for others, no matter what our stage in life. And so I sent out an article or I sent out some resources and said, you know, over the next, over these three weeks, I want to encourage people to, to enter into some kind of prayer and fasting. Um, and that, you know, I, I haven't made anything heavily organized. I'm just inviting people to say, do something. Asking God's Spirit to move among us and through us and around us. And as I was thinking about that, I was talking, thinking about fasting and, and the fact that my body is like Egypt and my spirit is like the promised land. And my body is the place where we live rooted on earth. And my spirit is the place God has pulling up to heaven. And my spirit is the place that heaven meets earth. And my body resists it because my body isn't used to being not in charge because my body has all these cravings. And so fasting starts saying, body, you submit. And it's not always easy because the body doesn't like that. But after a while it starts settling down. And then God also began to say to me, I think that he said, you know, 
people want things in the spirit, but they don't actually allow me to test them. He said, if you send something up to space, if you go up to the space shuttle, if you, if you go to the space station, and they have things they're going to send up there, those undergo rigorous testing because they cannot fail. Lives depend on it. And there's a sense where one of the things fasting can do is it actually causes us to, when you start saying no to something, you realize the power it has over you. When you start actually saying no to things, you suddenly realize how strong they are, whether it's coffee or whether it's TV or whether it's whatever it is. And until you do that, you just go, oh, I'm fine, I can do it anytime, which is actually what every addict says. And every alcoholic, I can give up anytime, I just don't feel like it now. And so fasting is a way of beginning to see what is real in my life and what is actually going on. And it also becomes, I think, spiritually, an opportunity for God to almost pressure test us, where he says, I want to help you see, and I, I want to help you grow, and I want to help you to see how to step into authority. I want your spirit to grow. So let's spend this week just growing your spirit and saying to the body, you die down for a while so that you learn how to submit and you learn how to be less than the, the, the clamoring voice. My body's too tired, my body's too this, my body's too that. So I just encourage you to reflect on that because the way to victory is learning how to let God release our spirit. But it's going to be something we have to do as well. It's not just something he does. When he set the people free from Egypt, he says, now you walk out. And everything, when Jesus called people, he said, you follow me. He never just said, yeah, I'll, I'll be back tomorrow because I don't, don't get up too early. Just, I don't want to, no, no, I won't interfere. Don't worry. He didn't do that at all. He said, follow me, I'm on my way. And if they didn't follow him, they said, where's Jesus? He's left. He's gone way over there. You'll either have to run to catch him up because he's probably not coming back here. Jesus has a mission. And so we have this enemy that is trying to undermine who God is and who Jesus is. The enemy says, you've got to uh, just live life as if there's nothing outside this. Somebody described it this way. He has never played fair. He is lurking in camouflage nearby, seeking to take advantage of us in our vulnerable state. A moment of opportunity for him to kill, steal, and destroy. That's the description of Satan. He kills, steals, and destroys. Anything about that you find appealing. He takes what is yours and he uses it for his own ends. Every opportunity he has. If you look at Jean-Francois, when he's, he's going, he, he starts getting hyped up, that's when he's, he will do anything. He will look you in the face and say, George, can I borrow 50 bucks? And by the time you finish, you'll probably give him 50 bucks and he'll walk off and he'll use it on drugs. And you'll think he's helped, you've helped him. He will lie to you. He will deceive you. And I'm not speaking negatively to Jean-Francois, by the way. I think there's a whole, I think he's like the Gadarene demoniac, actually. Where he's deeply wounded and, and there's a lot of stuff there. So I'm not speaking in a negative way to him. I'm just, it's an easy example of what happens when the addiction begins to walk out itself out. And then he will, he will, he will say anything, do anything to get the craving released. That is, that is what Satan does. He kills, steals, and destroys a man to make him into an animal, to make him into somebody who just will do anything to get his fix. And what the fix is doing is trying to quell the voices in his head that are telling him guilty things or destructive things. There's a huge battle that goes on. And that's a battle between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of darkness, and it is very real. We just don't call it those names. We call it other names. 
But the good news is that when you start realizing that there is a lot that's going on that is supernaturally energized, you don't have an option, by the way. You can't abstract yourself out and say, I don't want to be part of that. You are part of it. Everything about you is part of it. You have both kingdoms in you. And as Jesus works in you, you begin to have to choose who you're going to serve. And you're going to choose how you're going to live. And there's no opting out of it, because every choice is a choice. Even the choice not to make a choice. And somebody was saying, well, how does this work? What does this kingdom of darkness look like? It sounds Satan doesn't turn up at your doorstep and say, I'm Satan and I'm here to take you out. He never looks like that. You have strongholds. You can have strongholds in you. There were three strongholds identified by somebody who was speaking, and I just uh, pulled them out of their article and thought I'd share them as examples. The one, the one area of a stronghold is called self-strength or self-reliance. It gets rooted in a place where you, you, you uh, maybe in your childhood or very early on, or you have a strict parent or something. You've got, you know, I, I grew up to hear the words, you know, um, sticks and stones don't hurt my bones. Uh, what, what's that again? Names will never hurt me. What a lot of crock. That's absolute nonsense. My sweet old grandmother was totally wrong. She was a Methodist. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, just, it's just wrong. And uh, self-reliance is about, you know, um, my father would say, well, you know, when I was a kid, I didn't have it like that, so I guess you're not going to have it like that. He grew up in a boarding school with a, a very strict sort of background and no, no relationship with his father was an Anglican priest and he went to boarding school and so there was no nurture, there was no love there was no real sort of affection that, that sort of uh, encouraged and so you end up with a self-reliance, well if, I, if, if you're not going to bring me up, because the message is you bring yourself up, I haven't got time and you start living like that and you end up going okay, screw the world, I'm just going to do it whatever I can and you, you do that, and Satan creeps in there and says, I'll help you. It sounds like a good idea. Let, let me, let's, he, because the Satan, you see, is like a maggot. The Lord of the flies. And he lands everywhere where he sees something that's rotten, and he says, I'm gonna, I just love that stuff. And he energizes it. And so you end up with a self-reliant personality where you say, I don't need other people. Stiff up a lip. And you think it's laudable, you think it's wonderful, and you go, you are so disillusioned, so, 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 so wounded. I don't show emotion. I never used to cry. I couldn't remember crying when I was in my early 20s. In fact, in Port Alberni, I'll tell you exactly the day. It was uh, Fred Austin's wife's funeral. It was uh, in eight, 1986 or 87. And I would said, Lord, if I'm going to joke around in front of people, I probably need to learn to cry as well. And I knew there was something that, that was stuck with me. And I said, I give you permission. I don't care. Uh, and I was at this funeral. Well, I was taking the funeral. of uh, He was a retired clergyman and he attended the church and his wife died. And by that time, half of the church had split off and gone to the other Anglican church, which is now a funeral home. Um, so, got you in the end. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> well, you know, vengeance is sweet. And, uh, and at this funeral, half the church that had left, because the Tamblings know these guys, so they know what I'm talking about. Half the church that had left, it was very painful because people left because we were singing songs. If I had sung what I did with praise, half the church would have left as well. I mean, people left because they didn't like the songs because you're talking about Jesus because it was a little too emotional. There are deep reasons. Total nonsense. It was religion versus relationship clashing and the church split. And 50% left and 75% came. So it grew. But at this funeral, there were all these people who had left, gathered around. And I remember standing up and seeing Dorothy, one of the most eloquent testimonies to Dorothy's life and what joy would be that through, through her death, people had been brought together. And then I just choked up. And I knew exactly why I was choking up. And I wasn't choking up because of Dorothy's death, actually. It was because of the brokenness in the church. And I, I said, Lord, I don't care. And so for me, it was a, a beginning of a healing that just said, it doesn't matter. I want to feel. Um, Satan will take something that you say, I'm not going to let that happen to me again. And he'll say, I'll, I'll agree with you on that. It'll become a stronghold in you. Anything negative that holds you could be a stronghold. And the thing is, you don't have to be afraid of it. You just need to identify it. And then you just start renouncing it and saying, Jesus, in your name, I renounce this. Forgive me for ever making that claim. And I invite you. I give you the keys to that. And I just say, I invite you to get rid of it. You can try as much as you like to get over some things. You will not until Jesus goes in and breaks the power of it. You see, he will always validate the reason why we had those things. In other words, I was hurt because maybe, I'll just use myself as an example and exaggerate it a bit. I was hurt that my father didn't spend any time with me and so I shut down. All right. Now that's a defensive mechanism that enables me to cope. But the defensive mechanism that enables me to cope very soon becomes a destructive mechanism that gets in the way of relationship. That's how Satan enters in and creates strongholds. And I become somebody, therefore, in my adult life who doesn't know how to have relationship. And I blame my father, which is useless, because I can talk about my father in order to understand something, but I'm still not, not free when I've talked about it. So I used to counsel people for 10 years about fathers and children and stuff, and I thought I'd worked it out because I understood it in my head. When I had my sort of midlife crisis, that was this stuff going into a deeper place. It hadn't really been freed up. And so often people nod and they say, I understand. And you say, is it in your heart or is it in your head? If it's in your head, it won't be changed. In your head is the beginning of something, but freedom comes as God ministers in your heart. And all of us have these areas. There's nobody here that God isn't still working on. So don't be discouraged or don't be too proud. You have got issues because you're still on this planet. But the good news is Jesus comes to us and says, I love you with your issues and I've come to set you free. And some of us go, well, I don't need to be free. I'm free enough, thank you. And he says, you have no idea how free you could be. And if, you, if you're in doubt about that, ask a good friend or your spouse and they will encourage you to find greater freedom. If you think you're okay. The other, so self-strength was one, the, the, the self-reliance thing. Jesus comes into the world and says, you need me. I'll just skim through this quickly. The other one is rejection. 
is a, a spirit of rejection that sits in you and you, you never take risks in case you reject it. And rejection and self, poor self-esteem sits cl- core in you. And there are all kinds of things you won't do because you don't want to be exposed. And you've lived your life protecting yourself from it. So you create places. You, it's incredibly creative how we work. We do this dance where we create, we, we, we get jobs that give us status. So we, we do all kinds of things to make sure we won't be rejected. And then we, 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 we pretty it up. But within us, there's a very low self-esteem or there's an inadequacy or there's a shyness. And, and so we, yeah, I, I mean, I'll give you a ridiculous example, but seeing I'm so vulnerable. Um, when I was a teenager, you know, I would, I would say, I believe that actually God says we shouldn't dance. We shouldn't dance. In my heart of hearts, really what it was, was I was scared of girls. So a theology of not dancing was useful at that moment. I made up for it, but I mean, I, I soon realized that was ridiculous. But it was at that. I do remember thinking, well, you know, that, that protects me because I, I was scared. And many of us have theologies that cover our fears rather than they're sort of deeply thought out. And some of us have theologies that have never changed since we were 20 years old. We just have the same old default all the time. And God is stuck with us because he says, oh, I can't have a conversation with you because it gets stuck all the time. You cover up your insecurities so quickly. That's why my love is so important. I'm here for you. I'm not against you. And what you're settling for, I'm not settling for. If I had to die on the cross, I'm not settling for this. You are settling for way less than what God has settled for in your life. And I would guarantee that for all of us. If you think that you are sitting here right now and Jesus is saying, Dad, Holy Spirit, man, I'm, we've done as much as we can do with you guys. It's wonderful. Aren't, don't you, I, I, This was worth it. Do you think they would say that over you? Don't go into a negative self thing. Just go, no, because I'm a work in progress. And and along the way come moments when he says, I thought I was Lord. Why are you resisting me? If you go through this horizon, cross this horizon, who knows what lies there? Satan, evil, the kingdom of darkness, Egypt, will always keep you less than. Will always seduce you into a nice little house and a comfortable lifestyle, predictable regime and all the rest of it. Free fish. Ooh, we got free fish from Costco. You idiot, you paid $500 for all the other stuff you bought. Satan is smart. He knows your weak points. He knows the things that get you going. He knows the things that are good works. He knows the things that will keep you away. Sun shines. Oh, the sun's shining. I'm going to go and do something, work on something. Uh, I don't feel like going to church because the sun's shining. Jesus said, so the sun shines and you don't talk to me? I'm the giver of sunshine and you don't talk to me? But Lord, you under- he said, I don't understand. I don't understand. I understand you're selfish. I understand you're lazy. I understand... You're all about yourself. You're tilling the ground in Egypt again. 
And I keep on just saying, Lord, just give me a compliant heart, an open heart, so that I'm... I'm meant to be talking about rejection. Um, in some ways we're rejecting him, but the, the way that God gets us, uh, uh, Satan gets us is the rejection is, I don't value my relationship enough with Jesus to, to walk across the street sometimes. The strongholds that God is talking about and Paul is talking about are not these massive, obvious things that, that are out there. They're what's in our heart and in our being. And so he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to set you free. And that's a, a process and a journey. And the final one, just so that I don't get you totally depressed, is negation. Negation is that thing that uh, some of us have, which is, uh, it's sunny today, but tomorrow it'll rain. Well, that was nice, but... And we always have a ne negative spin on things. We always end up in a negative place. Yeah, he's nice, but you should talk, you know, but... I used to do that a lot. I got rebuked actually at St. Albans on that because I used to go, anybody want to share? And then they say, what's the point of sharing? Because they always go, yes, but. You'd always end with something. I've had to do a lot of soul searching myself in doing this stuff. And it was true. And I had to learn how to start saying, people have valid, you know, that you need to celebrate what they bring to the table. Not always have something that's not quite there. And so there's a, there's a, there's a point of, of us saying to, you know, what is in you? You know, cynicism is another defensive negate, negative thing. You become so cynical. I don't give money to people who wander in the streets because you know what they do with it. And God might say, I want you to give people to, money to people in the streets because I know what you do with it. <laughs> I want you to give money to people who are wandering in the streets just because I want to teach you how to be generous. What they do with it, I'll look after. You actually are under the impression that you giving money to somebody is me using you to help them. I'm actually using them to help you. My ways are not your ways. I want you to be that one who is extraordinarily confident in my presence and my love. So, God, when Jesus opened up the word and said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, that one of the first things in Isaiah says is, the Lord of God has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. And what I've described are brokenhearted issues. Self-reliance. I can't trust anybody. Rejection. I might not be accepted. And negation. This won't last. Or cancerous in our spirits. Very, very common. And he's come to bind up the brokenhearted. What does that mean? He didn't say the Spirit of the Lord upon me to set captives free and to bind up the brokenhearted when you're dead. He came that we might know that kind of healing and freedom now. Somebody, I got this quote. If what you believe does not reflect truth, then what you feel will not reflect reality. If what you believe does not reflect truth, then what you feel will not reflect reality. We need to make sure that what we believe is what is true. And when you start saying what you believe about yourself, what you believe about God, what you believe about your, your circumstances, many times those will be half-truths. 
And the way that you speak out your belief impacts how you feel. And so how do you know Jesus is truth? Jesus says, I am truth and I am light. And truth is not an abstraction from Jesus. Jesus, Truth is a person, which is Jesus. So if you want to know truth, you have a relationship with Jesus. You don't just study his word. You can study his word and not know him. And he says, I am light. And what happens when you see, if if this place was in darkness, and we came in here in darkness for for five years, and then one day we turned on the light, we'd we'd look around and go, what on earth? Look how filthy it is. When you turn on the light, you see what happened in the darkness. When Jesus' light comes into your life, he starts showing you what needs to be changed. and you, You want to change it because you go, I had no idea. The kingdom of heaven breaks in and the kingdom of darkness becomes exposed. And then Jesus says, we have come to overcome that which held you down. Does this make sense? Just trying to make these kingdoms in real form for us. So, one more thing and then we're done. Yeah, right. Self-strength. Actually, I'm going to change this around. Remember in Joshua chapter 1, or Joshua chapter 6, um, they're out of Egypt, they've crossed the land, 40 40, uh, years have gone by because they went into the promised land, they said this is way too difficult, they're big giants, you know the story, so they didn't go in. I think many of us will end up in heaven and we'll feel like that. We go, oh God, we missed out on the most wonderful trip we could have had. He says, well, you didn't believe it. And we're going to go into those rooms that Jesus said are prepared for us. They're going to be full of stuff. We talked about this the other week. They go, why is this so full of stuff? He said, well, this was for you to use on earth, but you never accessed it. You were so intellectual and you were so self-reliant. You never needed anything, but you needed everything. So the, the guys, were they, they eventually crossed over and... And they were about to enter, they were, they were about to cross the Jordan, and they were, the men were circumcised. Blood was shed, and it was a sacrificial offering. Because everything that God releases comes through the blood of Jesus. Now, everything comes through his sacrifice. So you can't get what you want if you don't go through Jesus. Because it's through the cross and through the shedding of the blood that the grace is released and the forgiveness is found. So my life has to be spent continually going through the cross, not going through in a repetitive way. I've always described it in the last few years as the cross for the Christian in the promised land is like having a shower. You know that the, the living life means you get your body dirty, so you just automatically you have showers every day and you learn how to enjoy it. Well, the cross is the same thing. Jesus isn't saying, oh, I'm, terrib- I'm, I'm so upset that you're sinful. He says, I've provided a shower, a place for you to be cleansed on an ongoing basis. You're not under condemnation. It's just the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is the Christian knows where the shower is. It's really it. And then it has a fragrance that is appealing because it doesn't stink like the people who haven't had showers or shouldn't. And so these guys began to go into, they were going to cross over the Jordan, they were going to go into, and, and, and God said to them, you see there's Jericho. Uh, there, there's, yeah, Jericho. 
And what did he say in Joshua 6? He said, I have given you, it, Jericho is shut up, it's a stronghold, it's a fortress. And he says, I have given it into your hands. And Joshua would say, well, you haven't given it into our hands. I'm standing here and there's Jericho and we're, we, we haven't got it. But God says, I have given it into your hands. Now, this is what I want you to do. You cross over the Jordan and you start going and I'll instruct you. And so he instructs him and the angel comes and says, I want you to go to this place, Jericho, now, which is in your hands, by the way. And I want you to walk around it every day with your men and they're going to do whatever they're going to do. And on the seventh day, you're going to go around and scream and everyone's going to go ballistic and the walls are going to fall down. For six days, they had to go and claim something that they didn't see anything. And on the seventh day, something supernatural took place. Now that is, in some ways, a template of walking by faith. Where something is declared before you see it and then you start doing something. We're way too passive. You don't get what you pray for the first time. Satan says, I told you Jesus is powerless and I told you it's not going to happen and you don't deserve it anyway. And there are five other people who it doesn't happen to you. This stuff doesn't work. I wouldn't waste my time. And we give up and say, you're right. And then we go to a church and says, I don't believe in healing because I tried it once. And we've just become a prisoner of the prince of darkness because our cynicism, our disillusionment, disappointment was faulty, not built on truth, built on a feeling that wasn't informed by an informed belief system. It was informed by one thing and then we drew conclusions from it. We very, very quickly spiral into the darkness. We very, very quickly concede ground to Satan because that's our natural territory. It's what we're used to. And Jesus wants to break that and say, there's a breaking that can take place that will propel you into something that is far more exciting and powerful. But the principle is that when you, I declare something, you need to walk that declaration out and trust me with it and see what happens. So, you have self-strength or self-reliance. Read John 15, 5. There are thousands, well not thousands, but there are certainly many verses you could use this for. I'm just giving you examples. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It's totally opposed to self-reliance. You are part of something bigger than yourself. You are called into community. And apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. You can do a lot apart from Jesus that won't be productive. But when God is in your life, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing that will bring life. And I believe, believe me, I know I bored you to tears with my stories. But, I, you know, when I was in rebellion against God, it was seven years of absolutely fruitless living. Anger and frustration and I'm done with God. Completely. I can't tell you how deeply that was rooted in me. And if you told me I'd be standing up here speaking like this now, I'd say, you must be out of your skull. What are you smoking? And I would have meant it. And that's when God came to me and he, and, he, and he began to woo me and he began to open me up eventually to that revelation where he said, open your shirt and I saw the Superman emblem on my chest. And he said, you've forgotten your identity. And I was a slave. And I mean a slave. I knew anger in me like you wouldn't believe. Cynicism, frustration, self-pity. And as he showed me my identity, it was, just, it was like that. The revelation, the walking out was much longer. The revelation was such, as soon as I knew who I was, I went, how could I be such an idiot? 
And I felt myself rise up on the inside and the, the armed guards, the demons, the sort of negative stuff just shriveled up. And they went, oh, he knows. Because everything is bluff in the kingdom of darkness. And God said, now walk out. And I promise you, I seldom had such a feeling of authority as I just walked through. And I could see it in my mind's eye, walking through a slave prison camp that kept me prisoner and they couldn't touch me. Because I knew who I was and I didn't belong there. Now he said, walk out. That's what I'm talking about. When the kingdom of heaven breaks in on your life, it transforms things in you that will actually change your life forever. And I absolutely, I am here today because of that. It's the grace of God and it's the revelation of God. And so you start saying, Jesus says, apart from me you can do nothing. And I start saying, okay, apart from Jesus I can do nothing. Thank you, Jesus, that with you I can do everything. And I start living out of that place of, Jesus, thank you that I'm loved by you. For me, it was the prodigal son story. All I have is yours. Thank you that I'm accepted and loved and I'm going to walk into my inheritance. And everything began to change. You have to declare the truth of who Jesus is and what he has spoken. So you take the promises of Scripture. Bible studies are to uncover how God thinks and works so that you can claim the promises, apply them to your life and see transformation. See, believing is seeing. God is for you, not against you. Quickly, if rejection, disappointments. Read Romans 8. If God is not for us, who, is, you know, who can be against us if God is for us? Read Romans 8 from 31. I mean, there's, it's a whole bunch of promises in Romans 8. Uh, just go through the scriptures and start anything that you're struggling with and, and claim, a, claim a verse. I'm not talking about making it into mantra. I'm talking about saying if Jesus is real and this promise is true, then you can have it. And if you believe it, you will see change taking place in your life. You will see change taking place. For the negative, uh, pessimistic, Philippians 4.19, my God will meet all my needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. I might not see them today, but thank you, Lord, that you, you will meet all my needs. And there are all kinds of other ones, you know. Um, you are fearfully, wonderfully made. I mean, you could talk about your identity as a son or daughter of the King. You could go through Jesus' encounters with people and just take His promises as He meets with them. I will never leave you or forsake you. You're not an orphan. There, there are lots and lots of phrases. You read the Bible to claim the promises of God that he says, this is your identity and this is what I want you to base your life on, working from the inside out. The way you combat darkness and the way you combat evil is not by actually, there's nothing in the scriptures that says fight evil, really. Resist evil. But actually God says, you don't resist evil. You don't fight evil. I fight evil. I prepare a banquet in the face of my enemy, says the psalmist. My children can actually dance in front of the enemy because I contend, I take on the enemy and they irritate the enemy because they go, I'm not scared of you. And so those who are secure in Jesus are not scared of evil or Satan or darkness because wherever they go, they bring light and they bring salt and they bring healing and they bring strength. And Satan has no power that is not actually bluff. So as soon as you stand up and resist, he can't do anything. 
You have enormous power within you as, an, as a son and daughter of the king. It's not the words of a song. It's a lifestyle. God's will is not for you to be sick. God's will is not for you to be discouraged. God's will is not for you to feel abandoned or hopeless or helpless. Those are all evidence of the kingdom of darkness intruding on your life. They are not from Jesus. He uses everything to teach you things, but he never gives them to you because he doesn't have them. I love that phrase that says, God can't give people cancer because he doesn't have cancer. He doesn't give people hardship because he doesn't have hardship. He doesn't have it in his storage unit. He doesn't keep hardship. He doesn't keep suffering. He doesn't keep anything negative. He has the antidote for that. And the antidote is always found in the company of Jesus. So abiding in him is the, is the victory. Draw near to me and I will draw near to you. Now you listen to yourself and you start monitoring yourself, monitoring even what you're thinking and responding to as I speak tonight. I, I look around. And I look around in worship at times. I don't do it too much because it gets distracting. But I can watch. Often the most needy people are the ones that get most distracted. And you go, oh man, I wish I could stop this worship right now and actually invite you in. I'm not speaking judgmentally because God's Spirit actually often works in all kinds of ways. And for all I know, He's actually really working in that person. But I just encourage you to engage your heart and see what God does. But the way to find victory in this battle that Paul shares with us about we do not fight as the world fights is about we keep company with Jesus and we keep His promises. Does it make sense? So, let's stand. It's very good news because he who is in you has overcome the world. And the things that we battle with are just part of our growth patterns. I'm nervous. I'm shy. I'm shy about going out into the streets on the Tuesday. Of course you are. But that's no reason not to do it. And then like, you know, I don't dance with girls. Some of you, I don't go into the streets. You're just scared. And you, you, you're putting it into all kinds of other language. It's okay. You can just turn around and say, I'm scared. You go, that's all right. Let's walk through the fear. How can we do that? It'll change your life. You become bold. You become confident that Jesus is who he claims to be. Then you become dangerous. And lives will be changed because... You start believing things for people that they don't believe for themselves yet. I love doing that with people now. Placing my hand on them and saying, Jesus, thank you for what you have for them, even though they don't even know you exist right now. But let's come together before Jesus right now and just say, Lord, what are you raising up in us? How do you want to just love us right now? The areas of struggle or strongholds, things that are in you, attitudes that you know as I've talked tonight have just come up and been, yep, that's me. Or I don't want to admit it, but that's me. And I just speak passionately about it because I'm describing my journey. So we're all in this together. But God's love is such that he just raises these things to say, you know, you don't have to carry that anymore. You don't have to be stuck there. So Holy Spirit, will you just come and we give you the things that are getting in the way. Thank you that uh, you have victory over darkness.
And we don't want to have anything that is rooted in darkness. So in Jesus' name, over this body right now, I declare freedom from the King of from the prince of darkness. I, re- I, I pronounce him defeated by the cross of Calvary. I pronounce that he has no authority in this place or over anybody here in the name of Jesus. And we declare you, Satan, to be defeated. We declare you to be somebody who has nothing to give. And you have been condemned by Jesus. And so we speak against everything that you try to do to hijack the, us from the ways of Jesus. And we just say, Jesus, we want you to be Lord of our lives. We want you to be Lord of, of where we are, even if we don't know how to get there. That's the cool thing with Jesus. I used to swear at God and say bad words to Him because I was so frustrated and wounded. But I believed that He didn't really pay attention to my words from my mouth in this instance, but rather listen to the cry of my heart, which was very stuck. And he heard the cry of my heart. And so, Father, you know the deepest cries within us, and we just ask your Spirit to draw those out like you called Lazarus out, Lord. There's some of us who've had dreams, or we've had hopes, or we've had things that have died, and we've given up, and, and we call them up to life in the name of Jesus. Jesus has come that you might have life and fullness of joy, His kingdom is a place of laughter and hope. His kingdom is a place of peace. His kingdom is a place of great expectancy. No matter how old you are, your future isn't waiting to die. God has things for you to do that will impact people's lives and be a blessing in all kinds of ways. So Father, we bless you for that. We bless you for your kingdom on earth as in heaven. We speak over areas where we felt uh, we're self-reliant. We ask you to forgive us where we've seen that as a gift of, of some kind of noble thing. And we pray that you release into us a healthy dependence on you, Jesus, and a dependence on one another as we share in being the vineyard together. We ask you to, to, to touch us where we've let rejection become something that we've struggled with. Heal self-esteem. Heal uh, rejection, Lord, where we've been afraid of rejection. Just call up in us a confidence in who we are as people in you, sons and daughters of the King. Father, where we've believed things that are not true, we ask you to show us where the lies are. I break a spirit of lies over us in the name of Jesus. And let the truth of Jesus release in us His voice over our lives. We would hear that you are my son, you are my daughter whom I love, in whom I'm well pleased, and all I have is yours. Do not be afraid. I want to have you walk into a future that is determined by me, not be shackled to a past that has been determined by you. That's the word of the Lord to somebody, by the way. I want you to walk into a future that is determined by me, that would bring such a smile to your face, you wouldn't know who you are. I don't want you to anymore be shackled to your past and believe that that is what determines your future. I break that future over you. I break that past over you in the name of Jesus. That you might have the freedom and the faith to believe what you don't yet see right now. 
And for those of us who have become negative and cynical and defensive, and we've always got something to say that, that makes something less than it is, we just repent of that, Father. And we pray that you release into us hope and optimism into who, because of who you are, not because we are naive, because you are able to do more than we can ask or imagine. So let your kingdom come, Lord. Let your kingdom come on earth as in heaven in us tonight. Not for the first time, but just again and again and again. We bless you. We bless what you're doing over our lives. We bless what you're doing over the city. We bless you what you're doing over this church. And I call up in each person here tonight, I call up that warrior spirit. I call up that one who's going to stand for Jesus. I call up in you the spirit of Jesus to live for him and to delight in him and to have confidence in him to resist the evil one and to not live under his mantle anymore. There's much more to life than contending with him. Pay attention to Jesus and he will diminish. Evil will diminish. Thank you, Father. As we finish tonight, we're going to sing that song that's break chains as a kind of declaration. And let's do that to just seal the deal. Break every chain, break every chain, break every 
You don't just give us words, you give us power. You give us presence. As we go from this place, just fill everyone up, Lord, with a sense of encouragement and hope and strength and identity. They have Superman emblazoned on their chests. Your your daughters and sons are the king of kings. You could be superwoman if you like, that's fine. But you have power more than you can imagine. You don't have to live like a Clark Kent. Or Clarissa Kent. So go into this world and, and, and be confident in what God is doing among you, in you, through you. Because of Jesus. Keep close to Jesus. Don't contend with the devil. 
He's already been defeated. It's like kicking a corpse. Spend time with Jesus and let him give you the victory that he's already won. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you this night and forevermore. And we just remember and pray of that over Jeanette as well. And any of the others who are known to us who are sick, struggling, suffering right now. Norm. Amen. Amen. Go in peace, but power and passion as well.